Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Over the Top Cycling in Boulder, Colorado. I'm George Thomas. We're on the line with Lon Haldeman, who's getting to start uh, yet another pack tour. You just finished up Desert Camp, and uh, now you're starting Route 66? Yeah, we had Desert Camp in uh, based out of Tucson, Arizona for five weeks, and then we had a uh, couple weeks off, and now I'm over in Santa Monica, California, ready to start a Route 66 tour. We have 25 people in the group, and uh, this is really a, a tour, a tour tour. It's not really a, uh, the cycling part of it is hard enough, I mean, that you feel like you do something because you're riding 60 to 100 miles every day, but the cycling is, is really second or third uh, on the list of what you're really supposed to be doing because we're uh, we're researching a lot of the old road. We're riding a lot of the old alignments that are only accessible by bicycle, not even by car or motorcycle. And we're stopping at uh, a lot of the older hotels. We're staying at some of the old classic places, uh, Wigwam Hotels and La Posada and Winslow and you know uh, El Rancho Hotel, Movie Star Hotel in uh, Gallup, New Mexico, and. And then also along the way, we're just, you know, stopping at a lot of diners. You know, we go out to, out to dinner or out, you know, three times a day. We're at, at restaurants, uh, breakfast, lunch, and um, evening, uh, you know, going to these old diners and things. So that's really the focus of the tour. And uh, we have historians and guest speakers that meet with us every every other night or so. We have a, have a guest speaker that comes out and do a program uh, historically about Route 66. So it's... It's uh, it's really overload as far as what you want to learn about Route 66, uh, and that's the whole focus of the ride is is Route 66, and not necessarily you know riding the bike. So uh, we've got a good bunch of riders. You know, uh, physically, they're uh, most of them have done pack tour and things before, uh, so we can really just have fun, you know, exploring and and you know having fun eating and all the other stuff we do along throughout the day. Now this one sounds unique to me because you're so well known for choosing your routes and uh, picking new courses, and here you're following something that's been established for a very long time. Yeah, but even though it's it's established, it's 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 really um, an exploring route to follow by bicycle. Um, about five years ago, I started working with Adventure Cycling. 
and their map series about they wanted to add this as one of their uh, you know tours, and I gave them basically uh, 80 pages of of route cards that we basically put together for our tours, and so you know there's a lot of lot of detail on this. So even though the route was laid out in 1926, 90 years ago. Uh, it then evolved maybe during the Second World War. Uh, one of the original alignments got closed off. They they opened up a new alignment running parallel, sometimes a hundred feet away, sometimes miles away. And then you know in the 1960s they they opened up another four lane section and, and repaved over uh, part of the Second World War section. And then the interstate came along and sometimes repaved over some of the 1960s alignments. Um, but some of the 1926 alignment never got touched. And those are the places that are out in some desolate field somewhere that the only way you can get to it on a bike is, is jump a fence and you're out on, on ranch country or uh, BLM land or something as this old road uh, weaves its way across and the bridges are out of there. So you've got a, there might be just dry washes now and you've got to walk your bike down through the dry wash and up the other side and things. So even though the route is established, it's it's actually quite um, an adventure to try to follow it. And that's what we try to do on this tour is, um, you know, you could basically just look at the map and say, oh, here's the interstate, jump on the shoulder of the interstate and ride 30 miles to the next town. Or you can try to follow that old road that's hidden off in their sagebrush somewhere. And that's why on this tour, you know, our average mile per hour speed is, is probably less than 10 miles an hour because we're, we're not going very fast because we're trying to follow all these old alignments and look at, you know, all these old bridges. And, um, you know, in Arizona, the, the benchmarks where every time there was a water crossing, they actually put a, a benchmark and they dated it. So you'll be on some section of road, you think, oh, this is never a road. This is some ranch trail or something. And there'll be a benchmark there, you know, dated the uh, Arizona Department of Transportation in 1934 is when that section of road was, was put in. And it might have been discontinued, in, you know, in the 1950s. So anyway, even though we, we do, um, you know, really know the route, um, it's still a good adventure, you know, just trying to follow it. And uh, that's that's a lot of the fun of this tour. What's the historical significance about this route, and why did you want to run a tour on it? Well, Route 66, you know, if you're just, you know, say you're from Germany or somebody, and you're just, you know, thinking about the United States, you know, Route 66 probably is the most popular highway in the world when you're not in the United States. You know, that's what the Europeans hear about. It's it's like the Great Wall of China or the Inca Trail. You know, it's what we, we hear about from these faraway places. So what made Route 66 popular, there's a, a, well, a lot of different things. It's probably the best marketed highway in the United States for sure. They've got the, the best advertising, the best commemoratives, the most books about it, everything. And really, besides, um, you know, John Steinbeck and the Grapes of Wrath and, you know, calling it the Mother Road and things, you know, in his books that, you know, came out in the 1930s, 
Um, and then the, the movie, the Route 66, uh, uh, the TV series with Martin Milner that, that was out in the 1960s, um, in name anyway, it was popular. And then you've got Bobby Troop, you know, singing Get Your Kicks on Route 66. I think that's been recorded now on, by over 100 different artists who've published records and stuff about it. So it's it's really well known. Um, but yet, I think the part of it that's attractive to people is Route 66 is shows Americana uh, for what it is. If you look at the history of the 1920s and 30s, you've got the Dust Bowl farmer migration from Midwest heading out to uh, California, for example, you know, like the Grapes of Wrath movie. Um, then in the 1940s, you've got the, the Army uh, troop transports going back and forth, uh, the various uh, military bases all around there, and so the highway became important as a point-to-point transportation for the Army. Then after the war, you, you've got the rock and roll area in the in 1950s and Elvis Presley and that whole thing, and, and people finally going on vacation. Um, that was a, a new concept, was load up the, the kids in the station wagon and drive to the Grand Canyon or um, you know make that family vacation. And that went through the 1950s and 60s. And then by the 1970s, the interstate started to bypass a lot of Route 66, uh, to the point where it became decertified in a lot of places along the way. Uh, it even lost its name. It wasn't even called Route 66. It was just called, you know, County Highway or something. It, it wasn't even part of the state highway system in a lot of places. It just went back to uh, local uh, maintenance. And that's why a lot of places, parts of it got so... Um, uh, ruined basically, or basically unmaintained, is because they had the interstate right there, and they weren't going to put money into some road that they really didn't need to maintain. So throughout the 19 mid 70s through the mid 80s, for sure, Route 66 really disappeared. And then it probably wasn't the last section was bypassed in Williams, Arizona. 1984, there was a section of the Interstate 40 that finally went through, bypassed town, and that old section of Route 66 um, basically was decertified. So then there was really no existing parts of Route 66 left all the way between Chicago and Santa Monica. Well, then in the 1990s, um, a guy named Michael Wallace wrote a coffee table book, and his wife did the photography, and it was basically romanticizing what Route 66 was in, in, in its heyday. And he, and Michael Wallace interviewed lots of people on the route, took a lot of these great pictures of old cafes, and, and some of them were still in business. A lot of them had been closed down. And that book came out in the early 1990s, and it really started out a grassroots resurgence of people saying, oh, yeah, let's let's go out and try to find some of that old road. And even though, you know, getting back into some of my history, I had been riding across the country on Route 66 since 1981 when I was doing my first transcontinentals. And that was during the really downtime of Route 66. There was no signage. And I'm, I'm riding on these sections of road going, oh, this is kind of an interesting road, but it's, you know... I wonder why this road was here. I, I didn't really 
know that much of Route 66 history at the time, but I wasn't on the interstate, but yet I was on this road that looked like it could have been a highway at one time. And I wrote a lot of that all across um, California, Arizona, New Mexico, you know, into Texas and so on. Um, so my interest in Route 66, even though I had been riding it for almost 10 years, from 1981 till 1991, it really wasn't until the early 90s that I started to go out and be a roadologist and started trying to piece this thing together because the guidebooks were few and far between. You know, there was some, you know, kind of hodgepodge guidebooks that had a paragraph about a diner and they didn't tell you how to get to the next diner. You know, they just said, oh, you go down the road a ways. They didn't tell you if it was two miles or 25 miles. And so I actually was going out and doing these scout trips and trying to piece it together. And so that went on for me all the way until 1996 when we did our first pack tour of Route 66. And that was probably at that point we had the most detailed route cards of of every mile of Route 66. I mean, you know, mile by mile by mile, you know, hills and everything. And so we started our tours then in 1996, and we've done it, I think we've done it 10 times since then, and in, and we have to keep refining it. It's not like it ever stays the same, and and, and I just finished a, a, a route scout basically over the last uh, couple of weeks coming across on parts of it, and, you know, diners go in and out of business, hotels that used to be good are now bad, and ones that were bad are now good, so when we try to run our tours, we have to constantly keep revising what Route 66 is. And even parts of pavement, parts that were labeled as bad pavement are now good pavement, and other parts that were quite rideable 10 years ago are now haven't been maintained for 10 years, and, and they're almost mountain bike trails again. So anyway, as far as Route 66 being popular, um, I think it in it's the American, it's an example of, of Americana, and I think that's why it's so popular, especially with Europeans and people coming over, you know, to travel United, across the United States and, and see what it's, what it's about. So a lot of it's marketing, um, but again, a lot of it, uh, a lot of it's here because it's, uh, uh, it's very tourist. It's, you know, you hate to say tourist traps, but that's really a big part of Route 66 is these people that started these roadside businesses to attract tourists to come and, and stop at their places. And, you know, that's part of the fun of travel on the road. So. I'm thinking logistics because your route sheets and maps are really the standard of the industry. And also your SAG vehicles and the way you take care of your riders are incredible. How the heck do you map the thing? You can't drive all of it. And how do you right. SAG it? Well, yeah, well, you know, there's, I mean, I'm, I'm riding my bike with my tape recorder with me all the time and making updates of, you know, this section of road, we can, we can get through this fence and we can go off on this part of it and so on. Um, and then it'll say, hey, you know, you are on your own now from, you know, mile 42 on the route card until mile 52. You are 10 miles. You are... Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. On a section of road that is not open to cars, and our support car vans, whatever, basically have designated um, rest stops. And and we say, okay, we are going to wait here for everybody, you know, between the hours of 1030 in the morning and noon or whatever what happens to be. So that's basically how we, we support the ride. So there's, there's a bunch of places, though, that, of course, a car can't go. And uh, we just hope everybody shows up on the other end. But And the riders on this tour tend to stay together. You know, they'll, they'll be in groups of threes and fours because that's what it takes to hand bikes over a fence or something, you know, you know, travel like that. And, and that's, that's part of the, part of the fun of it is, uh, is going off on and finding these new sections or uh, finding old sections that, you know, that somebody hasn't really seen for a long time. And, uh, so, you know, we, we try to support it as best we can, but we also, you know, do a lot of regroups all along the way just to make sure everybody's okay. Now, you said you've done this about 10 times since 1996. What is it that <laughs> helps you decide, you know, let's do Route 66 again this year? I think, well, for us, it's it's mainly uh, rider interest. Uh, we'll get people start sending us emails like, oh, when are you going to do Western Half again? You know, we, we've, we've done it in its entirety from Chicago to Santa Monica, and it turned out that was a lot of days against the wind. Um, and so we said, well, that's silly. Let's go the other way. So we went Santa Monica back to Chicago. And because of the starting in the southwest, going up to the northeast, you ended up with 75% tailwinds. You know, we still had headwind days. We still had rain days. But we had 75% tailwinds. So that, that was good. And but it ends up being at our pace that we're doing it and staying at hotel. I mean, going to uh, museums and diners and stuff. You know, at 80 miles a day, it's really hard to do 2,500 miles in in less than 30 days, and it's more like 32 days or so. So, and for a lot of people, that they couldn't get that time off work, so they they wanted to either do eastern and western half anyway. So we said, well, let's just concentrate on eastern, western half, divide the route in Amarillo, Texas, and we'll do western half one year, and then the next year we'll do the eastern half or something like that. So that's kind of what we've been doing the last, uh, you know, over the last 10 years is just alternating between western and eastern half because each half has its own attraction and um, reason for wanting to ride it and stuff. It, It has a different feel at east and west. Uh, of course, out west, you've got the wide open expanses of New Mexico sky and Arizona mountains and California desert and things. And in the east, you've got 
more older alignment sections that are still in existence. You can, you know, you, you might have three parallel sections of Route 66 that are still in use. So, you, you know, we pick and choose the best one for cycling. Um, there's a lot more diners, a lot more ice cream shops. You know, you've got a town every uh, 10 miles. We're out west, you know, the towns are every 20 or 30 or 40 miles. So when you're in the eastern part, we try to run that more as a summer tour because, you know, that's a good ice cream tour. You know, you want to stop every 10 miles and you go to some ice cream place and things. So each each half has its own um, attraction. And so that's how we've been running the, the tours the last, you know, you know, dozen years or so. I take it you're doing a western tour right now because it's not summer. Right, yeah. And, you know, that's always the trade-off. You know, you start... You start too soon in in March, and you're still going to hit snow in the mountains. But the desert's nice and cool in California. Well, if you wait too long into May, then you start bumping up into 100-degree temperatures in the desert, and that has its own problems, too. So we're, we're trying to, you know, hit the compromise of weather, and so that's why usually a mid-April tour works about right you know the desert just yesterday the desert was only 80 degrees when i came across there uh which is very nice in fact we even got some misty uh rain um in the desert uh but hopefully we're not going to get any snow um in the mountains you know going over the continental divide and stuff which we've done this tour in april several times and there were days when um you know, it was it was quite cold in the mornings. We never really had snow accumulation, but we did have uh, flecks of snow floating in the air, and you know, it was 35 degrees. So uh, you can't really go too much earlier than what we're doing right now. And if we wait too much longer, the desert just gets too hot. So. And when does the tour start? Is it tomorrow? Uh, the riders come in tomorrow on Saturday, and we start riding on Sunday. And our first day's like 75 miles out to San Bernardino. Well, this is a perfect show for the first of our series of kind of historical Haldeman because we want to really find out about who Lon is and uh, how he, you know, I, I know you don't take credit for it, but I really look at you as kind of the foundation of long-distance bicycle racing and all that you did in your early years and continue to do now to really foster and grow that sport. And uh, talking to you is just it's fascinating uh, what you did throughout your life. And like you were just saying, uh, 81 to 91, you went out and rode Route 66. Um, yeah, and I, uh, you know, the thing, you know, Susan Notarantel and my wife, we were, we were actually on a Grand Canyon tour the, over the last week, and we, we kind of got talking about some of this historic stuff, and and I think one of the things that at the time we didn't really appreciate what it what it was. I mean, we were we were doing things, and in going off and doing these these long rides across the country, and then we would turn right around the next month and and have something else planned and and doing something else. So we really never, you know you know, did something and then sat back and say, you know, that was the greatest thing of all time because we, we never thought of it in that those terms um, because we always wanted to, to do something else. And so it's really only been probably over the last 
five years or so that we've actually sat back and and looked at it from a historical standpoint that some of those things that we were doing then, besides just being, I think, a little crazy, um, you know, even to attempt them, like the double transcontinental record 1981, just to be able to logistically put that together and, and pull that off, um, I'm more amazed at it now, 30 years later, than I was, you know, at the time, 35 years later. Because um, at the time, we were just like, oh, let's let's do it. And and if we had to reconstruct and try to do that again, um, I think it would be really hard. I mean, not, I mean, from a physical standpoint, there's probably no way I could do it anyway, but logistically, to have it come together. And so... I guess that's that's one of the things that you know it turned into, uh, like you say, it turned into a sport. What we were doing, but a lot of it, we were we weren't doing it to say, well, let's go set a record and it'll be in the world Guinness Book of World Records and we'll be remembered for all time. A lot of the things we did, we just did it, and then uh, we were right on to something else again um, in 1983 within a period of almost like six weeks, we did a a tandem 24-hour record, which was the week before we got married. Then we get married. The next week, we go out to Santa Monica and we start the tandem transcontinental, which went back to New York City in 10 days, 20 hours. And then a month later, I'm back doing the race across America. And then... Two weeks after that, Susan's heading off to, to do Paris First Paris and set a woman's record there. So, you know, the, it was just kind of like one thing after another. So it wasn't like we were, we were going to do something and then just say, well, okay, that's a record, let's retire. You know, we were always just looking for something else to do. And so, you know, I think for us it was fun. You know, it wasn't like it was, you know, we were we thought we were doing that much because we're having a, a great time doing it. So I think that's that's the main reason why why we kept doing because we were having fun doing it. So tandem transcontinental record sounds like the most fun honeymoon ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess you're not supposed to sleep on your honeymoon, and we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you know and. I'm going to kind of wrap this up right here to lead us into our next chat. Um, because, you know, when you did that double transcon, there were no races in this sport. Uh, like you said, you were just out doing it. I mean, there was no coaching for it. There was not really uh, equipment. You had a huge influence on equipment development. And um, it's just amazing to me what you've done and what you've helped create. Well, it's you know it's been a been an evolution, and and you know I I still have to give credit you know the people you know John Marino who set his transcontinental records in 1978 and 79 and 80, and you know he was a huge influence on me, and you know and it's a, it's a it was a pioneering type of sport, and I I'm, I expect it's a lot of that still today. I mean a, a rider that's going to do Ram, race across America at least now can look and say, well, this is what they did, somebody did, and, and it worked, and this is what they did, it didn't work. And we were doing the same thing back then, although we didn't have quite the same base of of experimentation. Now, boy, how many people have ridden Ram solo? I mean, just to guess, 
35 years, 10 to 20 people a year. So there's like 500 people. Finishers probably up around 450 maybe. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of people that have, well, succeeded and a lot of people that have failed. And I'm I'm um, thinking in 95, when I went solo, I think there were only, we hadn't hit a hundred yet. I think it was around 65 people had finished it. Right. Right. And, so it's it's been a gradual evolution for you know for 35 years, and so but anyway back in the day when John Marino was doing it, you know John Marino actually was talking to people before him who had set the records in the 1950s and 60s and 70s. He actually went and talked to these guys and did interviews with them. And so that's another thing. It would really be great to have John Marino do a, a program like this about the, the further back history. So I think we've all pretty much done the same thing. We've all tried to learn from who went before us and find out what worked, what didn't work, what we could adapt for ourselves. And so when Susan and I were doing things like this, you know, in the 1980s, the early 80s, you know, I think between us, we did almost, I don't know, 14 or 15 or 20 races or something. But anyway, uh, we were doing a lot, maybe even to a year. Um, so we we were learning a lot. We were making a lot of mistakes um, that actually helped, helped us, you know, come back and, and do it again different the next time around. So I, I, from that standpoint, I hope, I hope a lot of people learned from our mistakes and what worked, what didn't work. Um, and now that process has just continued on now for, you know, another 30 years of, of evolution. So from, from that standpoint, I think it's, it's probably the, the standards are a much higher going into race across America now that you're supposed to go out and do a 10 day transcontinental, you know, instead of a 12 day transcontinental. But, um, but anyway, you, you know, so the expectations are higher, um, but then again, I think it's also a little easier because at least you know kind of where to focus on your training and your diet and, you know, things like that. You know, that that's probably helping people out a lot more now than it. Because back in the day, we had no idea what we were doing. And a lot of the stuff we did, I would never do again. It was totally stupid. But um, anyway, that might be for another show. Well, Lon, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us as you've got a tour coming up. And I wish you and all your riders the best on Route 66. Hope you get your kicks. Okay. All right. We'll be talking to you again. All right. Look forward to speaking with you very soon. Lon Haldeman joining us on Over the Top Cycling in Boulder, Colorado. I'm George Thomas. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 